Thanks for listening to Live from the Poundstone Institute. Up first is the morning news podcast from NPR. When news moves fast from Washington and the Middle East to the latest on healthcare, Up First is the quick morning update on what happened and what you need to start the day. Wake up with Up First every weekday morning on the NPR One app and wherever you listen to podcasts. Here's something that just came in this week. Um, A recent survey found that 15% of people think the word software refers to comfortable clothing. Uh, I, you know what? I didn't know what software was. I didn't, uh, you know what? As a comic, I stand outside a lot of times. I say, what do you do for a living? What do you do for a living? And the first people who ever said to me, you know, I develop software, I thought it was like Tupperware. I had no idea. <laughs> I, you know, there's nothing worse than losing the lid to the, to the software. <laughs> there is a lot of things I don't know. Uh, what about wingman? Do, do you know what a wingman is? Yeah. There's the social wingman who is with you when you're out looking for dates, I guess, in the the world. Do you know Wingman, this young guy? Do you know what a wingman is? Yes. Yeah. All right. So I only recently was introduced to the idea that it had anything to do with dating. What does it mean? Uh, It's someone that that would help you at the bar. Help you with the bar? At the bar when you're trying to pick up uh, someone you're attracted to. They would help you? Yeah. In what way? Like they would turn the woman's head towards you? (laughs) That's your Uh, That looks like a head man to me. Well, I wouldn't know personally because I'm asexual. Ooh. You're asexual? Yes. I thought it was just me. <laughs> oh, my God. What You're both asexual? Wow, you two should totally... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> no, it's not going to work. No. And yet, <laughs> the way you say it, it is kind of attractive. <laughs> <laughs> From NPR, it's live from the Poundstone Institute, where we continue our weekly search for all the world's knowledge. We just Google it, but that's not the NPR way. On today's show, a study finds you are not as pretty as you think you are. Even you, Clooney. Man, the butthole surfers, not the band. The researcher who chases down surfers on the beach and swabs them. Yeah, there. We don't know whether to call the New England Journal of Medicine or the authorities. And dropping by to take the PPP, the Poundstone Personality Survey, it's the great Dick Cavett. Yes, I'm Chief of Research Adam Felber. And now, here's your host, the director of the Poundstone Institute, Paula Poundstone. Thank you, everybody. Welcome to the Poundstone Institute, where real people with PhDs answer questions from people who have to check to make sure they're spelling PhD correctly. (laughs) So, Adam, where does our quest for knowledge begin? Well, we'll start today by looking at ourselves. Yes, take a good look. Turns out we're not as pretty as we think we are. None of us are. Like, for instance, how would you rate your attractiveness, Paula? I feel that I have a, a real, uh, I, I, I feel that I have a real understanding of my looks. I, I starred many years ago, I was 23 years old, I started a movie called Gremloids. It was a... Uh, it's it, for real. Yeah, it, really for real. It was a, a science fiction comedy, uh, low budget, and uh, uh, not too long ago I saw the poster for the very first time in all these years, uh, and uh, my name is clearly on the, you know, starring, 
mm-hmm. and they took an entirely other woman, not just like my head and her body, just an entirely other woman <laughs> that was kind of a babe and put her on the cover. Wow. They just said, We're not, there's nothing we could do. <laughs> there's no airbrushing. We there's can't no do anything nothing. with this, yeah. Not worth the risk was their feeling. Right. So this I, movie was only going to be bought by like two people, but even to get those two. That's exactly right. I would have been a turnoff to at least one of them. <laughs> um, so yeah, I feel like I, I feel like I have an accurate uh, impression of my, my looks. Well, I, ha- I have some bad news for you in that according to recent research, you're even worse. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. It, it's, it's all on the scientific up and up. Uh, we'll find out more about this right now. Joining us is Dr. Nicholas Epley, a professor at the University of Chicago Booth School of Business. He's the one who's using science to tell us all that we're ugly. So thanks. And Professor Epley, welcome to the Poundstone Institute. Thank you for having me. That was a nice introduction. <laughs> So, Nick, uh, break my heart. Is it true that I couldn't even be a centerfold for Troll Magazine? Yeah, I'm not going to answer that one. We haven't collected the data on that. I'm afraid I can't tell you. So what we know is that people tend to think they're better looking than they are, correct? Well, that's what we found. And, And the way we tested this is we just simply took pictures of people and asked them if they could essentially identify themselves, recognize uh, who they actually were. And what we did was we took people's pictures and we morphed people's faces with a, either a really highly attractive face or a really unattractive face. So you photoshopped them to make them more or less attractive? Yep. And one, one thing we did is we showed people a lineup of themselves and asked them to pick out which face was theirs. And they couldn't pick themselves out of a lineup? Uh, on average, they could not. That's right. They tended to pick the. They tended to pick the picture that was morphed with the attractive photo. So you took a, a picture of a person who has like a, a, a macaw nose, and you fixed the picture so it was kind of just a little cute button nose, and you gave it to the person, and they said, "Yeah, that's me there with the button nose." Uh, sort of. Yeah, that's sort of what we did. Let me ask you this. Is there an awkward moment when you have to reveal to somebody, like, no, 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 that's not you, the pretty one. You're this ugly one over here. Uh, We didn't reveal. Oh, Oh, you never told people that they picked the wrong one? So there's people walking around. You know what? You're the reason people think they're more attractive than they are. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, if I had thought that was me on the movie poster. Right. If I see, like, a babe with my name underneath, I'm like, yeah, I'm in that bikini. Hell sure, yeah, that's, that's me. me, yeah. Yeah, that's my, that's my low-cut underwear, not my high-waisted cottony briefs, surely. <laughs> so, uh, you know what? This all is part of a, a larger psychological um, phenomenon that people call self-enhancement. Am I right? That's right. For example, isn't it true that 93% of people say they're a better-than-average driver? It's in that ballpark, yes. So, so what's going on with that? I mean, that doesn't seem possible to me, and I would definitely say I'm better than average at statistics. <laughs> it, is not, it is not possible. That's absolutely right. Uh, there are a lot of things that are, that are going on, on here. One thing that happens is that people, uh, people sort of define what a trait means, what it means to be good at something, say, um, in a way that's sort of self-serving. So if you manage not to go into the ditch when you're behind the wheel of a car, well, then that's a good driver. 
uh, you define that as a good driver, and therefore you qualify. So if you're setting the standards of what it means to be good, most people set the standards just a little worse than they are. So uh, when so I come home, like, uh, uh, you know, I put, and I hang up my car keys, and I go, I didn't kill anybody today. And then usually I have, like, a treat. Yep, above average, right there. Uh, uh, now, are there, are there other things that people overestimate that we're missing here? Like, people tend to overestimate how convincing their comb-over is, I think. <laughs> I think that's probably right. I should say it's not it's not universal that people think that they're that they're wonderful. But on traits that are desirable, things that you'd really like to have, those are the ones that people tend to think that they're that they're great at. Leadership ability, getting along well with others, those are ones that people tend to think they're. Oh, I, yeah. I have to say, uh, uh, I overestimate my my ability as a quick study. So when someone's giving me directions, they go make a left, make a right, make a left. They go, do you want to write this down? I go, no, 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 I got it. And then cut to me, like, pulling over to the side of the road to cry because I'm so lost. I, I thought for sure I had it. Because sometimes I think, well, did they mean make a right out of the driveway or in the driveway? Right, that's you know, it. Yeah. And they're gone. <laughs> Run over. No way of asking. <laughs> no, I'm a better driver than that. Uh, do doctor, have you done any research into why people tend to uh, overestimate the size of the crowd at their inaugurations? Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a clinical psychologist. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Nicholas Epley is a professor at the University of Chicago Booth School of Business. Nick, thank you so much for joining us here at the Poundstone Institute. Thank you for having me. Nick Epley, everybody. Of people overestimating their ability. Did you see that uh, Michael Phelps is going to? I, it was a great swimmer, no question. Oh, we love him. But he's got, He's going to race a shark. <laughs> I think that's overestimating his ability. Unless he flips the script and races him on land. Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. He could win the, that. Imagine the arrogance of believing that you could swim against a, 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 sh a shark. Lives its wa it, its whole life is in the water. I'm gonna guess it's a better swimmer. Uh, you know, it doesn't uh, do a lot of other things. No, exactly. Yeah. That's what. It, if it's just hanging around, what's it doing? Swimming. Yeah. If it's taking a day off. What is it doing? Swimming. swimming. If it's working really hard, it's swimming. Yeah. yeah. And by the way, the odds of it staying in its lane are so slim. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and how are they going to get it to swim in that direction anyway? Yeah, well, Phelps will have to be in front of it, really, to motivate it. <laughs> I, I also think that the shark, uh, and maybe Phelps figures this is where his advantage is, but getting off that starting block <laughs> just seems so unfair somehow. And right. Yeah. Yeah. Have when your mark gets set, no, stop, get back up there. <laughs> yeah. Take oh, your the mark. No, get back up there. <laughs> uh, does anybody here, uh, now that you've learned about this overestimating stuff, is there anybody here where it suddenly dawns on you that you've overestimated a, a quality or an ability? Look at the stunned <laughs> silence from this crowd. Like, this woman here in the second row, have we met before? Are you a friend of Adam's? Yeah. 
I'm uh, Ken's wife. Oh, for God's sakes. I'm so sorry, Kate. Nice to see you. Nice to see you. <laughs> All right, I should probably tell everybody Ken is one of our producers. Y you know, you were out of context for me. Yes, of course you're yes. Ken's wife, and here I have you going out with Adam. This yeah, is awkward. Sorry, Ken. <laughs> The Jeez. worst possible well, way nice to find to out. Well, Kate, you do like one-woman shows and stuff, don't you? Yes. Yeah. And have you ever overestimated the size of the cast? Oh. <laughs> quite often. Yeah. Quite Is that how it became a one-woman show? Yes. <laughs> I just thought you were doing to Oklahoma. And you're out there, oh, Oklahoma, and you're like, where is everybody? <laughs> We don't just talk about other people's studies, we also conduct our own, which is why our concession stand sells both potato chips and placebo chips. Today we're surveying our audience about Netflix viewing. Not so much what they watch, but whether they worry about what Netflix thinks of them based on what they watch. So Paula, for instance, based on your viewing habits, what do you suppose Netflix thinks of you? I think Netflix knows nothing about me other than I wait till the DVD comes out. Uh, oh, so you don't, you're not the streaming Netflix person. I don't use Netflix. I like the picture on the box. <laughs> All right. Well, we've, a <laughs> we've asked our audience if they worry about what Netflix thinks of them, and our lab assistants are in the back room right now tabulating the data, and we will bring you the results as soon as they're in. I can't wait. It's going to be good. Yeah. Did you guys already fill out your... Survey things? Mm -hmm. I'm on the edge of my seat to find out. Yeah. Did you fill yours out yet? We did, They haven't been collected? Where, there's a bunch oh. that haven't been collected. Where's the crack staff? Tabulating the data. You know, the crack staff apparently thought they had done a better job than they did collecting. <laughs> Hey, it's time for us to thank some funders. Support for Live from the Poundstone Institute comes from ZipRecruiter. If you're looking for top talent, with ZipRecruiter.com, you can post your job to 100 plus job sites with just one click. Let ZipRecruiter's powerful technology match your job to the right candidates and use their simple dashboard to find the right hire. That's why 80% of jobs on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just one day. I guess the other 20% only hear from me and Adam. Subscribe ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Poundstone. Okay, Adam, <laughs> what great slurp of knowledge are we pouring out of the old beaker next? Well, our next topic is swabbing surfers. Our guest, Cliff Capono, is a chemistry PhD student at the University of California, San Diego, and he is embarking on the Surfer Biome Project. Basically, he's traveling around the world taking swabs of surfers. Cliff, welcome to the Poundstone Institute. Hello, thank you for having me, Paula and Adam. Hey, thanks for joining us, Cliff. Cliff, right off the bat, why surfers? Is it only because no one wants to swab bowlers? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, surfers are definitely, they're not as easy to sample as you would think. They're kind of... Um, slippery. Yeah, they're really slippery, honestly. <laughs> but I think the surfers really, they, they are kind of these weird demographic of people that will really risk you know, their profession, they'll risk relationships to be in the ocean whenever the waves are really good. So 
This right. kind of represented a type of people that are really dedicated to being in the environment, completely submerged in the environment. Right, and that's the reason why you're look, swabbing the surfers, right? Because they're in the ocean, and what you're looking at is the ocean. Yes. Yeah, we're, we're trying to use surfers kind of as a proxy to determine ocean health. Uh-huh. You couldn't use a cup? <laughs> Okay, so let, let, let's get into the nitty-gritty of this. You're swabbing these surfers to find out what kind of bacteria they're picking up in the ocean and how that might or might not be affecting their own inner biome. Is that more or less what's happening? Yeah, modern science is starting to recognize that we're finding out bacteria and fungus that live on our body are really influential in determining our own health. So we're trying to see if what does that mean when someone goes into the environment a lot of the time. So surfers just represent that. So in, in your research, you have to walk up to surfers on the beach and convince them to let you swab them, right? Yes. And then tell us how that goes. So usually it's a pretty awkward situation, especially when we get into asking about um, you know, people. Yeah, I would have guessed that that would be awkward. Do you have a uh, line that you use? Like I an mean, opening in, in, line. The opening line, I, I mean, in, in reality, I try to let my surfing do most of the talking, and I, I go out there and I try to become a part of that surfing community wherever I'm at, and hopefully they establish enough, or there's enough trust established after me sharing waves with them that they don't think I'm going to be probing them in a weird way. Okay. So then... So, 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 so wait, so you're doing this amazing... Because we saw an article about you in... in uh, surf, Surfer Magazine. Surfer Magazine. So you're doing this amazing surfing, and it's compelling enough that another surfer looks over at you and goes, man, I would let that guy swab me. <laughs> uh, that's the goal. That's really why I'm getting my degree. All right, well, let's... Let's get to the swabbing part. T tell me uh, how, how you go about swabbing these surfers. I, I hate to say it, where you swab them. Sure. So um, we're trying to get samples of the forehead, the mouth, the nose, the ear, the outer eye, the chest, the hands, the feet, and the surfboard. And what I, what I do is I do all of those swabbings. And probably the most awkward sampling part is the navel, the belly button. And that's just, that got really weird after a while, so I just asked people to do their own. <laughs> Eventually, the, the, the fecal part is we ask them, oh, can you guys take your own? And at first, it's kind of weird. I kind of get them into a, a, a level of trust where I'm like, okay, I'm going to sample your hands and face. Right. And then eventually, I tell them, okay, are you guys willing to give a fecal sample? And at first, everyone's kind of like, oh, what do you mean? And I just tell them, oh, nothing's going in, in you. It's non-invasive, but after you finish um, going number two, then you can dip the soiled toilet tissue with a Q-tip and you put it into a sample and give it to me in an envelope so I'm not doing any Have you ever weird. considered bringing with you a little cassette tape player and just putting in a tape and pushing play while you're talking to them so you have a background of getting to know you, <laughs> getting to know all about you um, now, 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 now that the word is out Cliff, do surfers run when they see you coming? <laughs> or at the very least stand with their backs towards their surfboards? Uh, I'm, I don't know if too much people know about me. I feel like I'm pretty low profile. I kind of just creep up and get my samples and get out of town. <laughs> Cliff, Cliff do, you do, you, are, do you have any preliminary findings about this? Like, what, is the, what are the fruits of your swabbing labors at this point? Do you, what do we know about the ocean biome and the way it affects ours? 
right now, I, I don't really have any of the data. So how it kind of works is when we, get, as scientists, get results, we have to provide that information for the rest of the scientific community to critique. Mm -hmm. And it's not really encouraged to give the results officially to the general public without it being first looked over by the rest of the scientists. Okay, but, but, okay, but say, by the rest of the scientists, you know, Cliff, I don't know if you realize, you're live from the Poundstone Institute right now. <laughs> I know. That's why I'm going to tell you guys the real deal right now. Is right. I think we're going to be able to identify just how related we are and intimately connected to the ocean through the different types of bacteria that live in our skin and inside of our gut. So this is for the first time going to allow us to understand how the ocean is leaving traces, molecular signatures on our bodies. And hopefully that will allow us to better you know, have a, a respect for the ocean and maybe help us with better conservation practices along those lines. But for now, we should just kind of stay away from surfers is what I'm hearing. <laughs> or me, it's, uh, if you want, you want to get sound. <laughs> well, Cliff, that was gnarly. <laughs> Thank you so much. I hope your fellow Thank surfers you. will one day know you as something other than the swab guy. I hope so, too. Cliff Capono is the man behind the Surfer Biome Project. Cliff, thanks so much for joining us on the Poundstone Institute. Adam and Paula Mahalo Nui, thank you very much. Take care, Cliff. Hello. Hey, are there any surfers here? He, Cliff isn't with us. He's via phone, so <laughs> don't worry that I was going to sample you or something. Any, any, any surfers? Oh, wait, there was a half a hand raise there. <laughs> Yeah, wh what it was, was it like? It was okay. I was impressed that I could actually stay up, but I couldn't. I couldn't figure out what to do once I got closer to land, and Get so off. I just kind of. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't. I have terrible balance. I I, I one time tried to. Uh, what's the one where you pull behind the where behind the boat? Water ski. Water skiing. Yeah, I tried to do that a couple times. I could never. Just, I'm so impressed. I couldn't get up on a water ski, and nobody told me what happens when you fall, um, and you know the boat continues to pull you, <laughs> with let's just say your private parts facing towards the boat. Oh. Yeah. Well, Cliff would easily get a sample after. Really. Hey, if you're in L.A. and you want to do something that requires less reading than looking at the Hollywood sign, come visit us at the Institute. For ticket information, go to poundstoneinstitute.org. Ever since the Poundstone Institute was founded 200 years ago by my great-great-grandmother, Paula Herbert Walker Poundstone, <laughs> we've been compiling data for the PPP, the Poundstone Psychological P Survey. This week, our guest is the great Dick Cavett. Oh. Hey, Dick, welcome. Can we hear the rest of them applaud? <laughs> Dick, it's great to talk to you. I'd love to learn about interviewing from you. I, I probably should have oh. asked you that before the last interview. Um, but what can you teach me about doing a good interview? Well, nothing, as long as I'm in the business, because I don't need competition. <laughs> no, but seriously, folks. <laughs> so, Dick, you grew up in Nebraska, and from there you went to Yale. What was that transition like? Paula, did I ever tell you the, my first faux pas? I walked out onto the Yale campus with uh, wearing brown and white shoes. And, oh, God, that was just... Worst part was the white one kept getting dirty. 
<laughs> Two, three, four, and I want to tell you. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, that was a good one. Uh, All right, Dick, are you ready to take the Poundstone Psychological Piss Survey? Sure. There we go. <laughs> it's a pretty it's a pretty simple process. What we're going to do is we're going to uh, determine what kind of personality type you are by asking you three questions. Oh, let me ask you one. Sure. Uh, oh, is this a podcast? Yes. yes. Yeah. Uh, what are the uh, naughty language You can say whatever limitations? you want. Let me get started. Here. <laughs> okay. Go. Wow. Go ahead. All right. Question number one, Dick Cavett. Which president would it be more of an honor to be insulted by? Richard Nixon, Donald Trump, or the president of White Castle Slider Appreciation Club? Well, I've already been insulted by at least one of them. And if you don't believe me, go to YouTube, put in Cabot Nixon, and you will say, see him in the Oval Office, this is from the tapes, saying to his uh, lick spittle, H.R. Haldeman, um, Cabot. Oh, he's the worst. Nixon interrupts and ends with the line, a little boy grew up in Nebraska, lives to hear his president say, Cabot, how can we screw him? Wow. Have yeah. you ever had an honor like that, Paula? I Seriously. have not had an honor like that. How did yeah. they screw you? Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I did that special called Dick Cavett's Watergate. Nice, my favorite moment, I think, maybe is when Carl Bernstein says, for the first time in the history of our country, we had a criminal president and a criminal vice president, Agnew. And, yeah. Well, Spiro Agnew, if, when you get to the question, who's been your Dallas guest, that's it. <laughs> Really? What did you try to talk about with Spiro Agnew? Do you remember that he wouldn't respond to? Here's exactly. Good question. They put up an easel, and they put up six caricatures of Agnew by Herb Block and all the common, all the big-time caricatures. And they said, he will have amusing things to say about them. So I started with Herb Block, and I said, this one, uh, they, they seem to always make your eyes very thin. Uh, and he said, yeah, yes, they do. <laughs> oh, boy. I you that was, uh, as you could probably guess, that was his best line. Um, <laughs> and I couldn't get wait to get rid of it, bastard. And, uh, but you know that I'm the anagram freak who can't stop seeing anagrams everywhere. No, I didn't know that. Oh, you, you didn't know that? No. no. Anyway, so what frustrated me was after we dumped Agnew out the door... One minute later, I realized I could have said, as it dawned on me, do you realize that your name, rearranged, spells grow a penis? <laughs> Check it out. Man, now, Paula? Now, I, Paula? <laughs> I would hate it I if told... that dawned on me too late. <laughs> Well, I told Gore Vidal that, and he said, grow a spine would work, too, but yours is much better. Yeah, no, stick with yours. All right, Dick, question number two. You wake up on a desert island with a coconut, four feet of rope, a mirror, and an electric blender. What's the this first... This has happened to me twice. Then you're already going to know the answer to this. What's the first thing you're going to say to your travel agent? To my travel agent. Well, if he was there, yeah. 
I would use his pate to open the coconut. Um, and I, I don't know where I'd turn from then. I know I would wish you were there. Dick, you've never done, you've never entertained on a cruise ship, have you? I was cruised once on an entertainment ship. Yeah. But, uh, but let that pass. Okay, Dick, question three. Are you more likely to be late or early? That's very easy. I am always late. Always late? Do you have a regular excuse, or did you just, or did you just come clean? Uh, some guys beat me up on the way over here. Wow. <laughs> well, I think we have all the data we need. Let's turn on the old tabulator and figure out what your Poundstone personality survey type is. Good Lord, Holmes. And here are the results, Poundstone. Ah, just as I would have predicted. Dick Cavett, you are personality number 72, the dolphin. One of the most highly intelligent animals, you create extremely complex social systems, engage in lively and eloquent conversation, and yet you still get good television ratings. Well, I... <laughs> also, when we throw you a herring, Dick, you always catch I, well, it. I, I can bounce a ball on my nose pretty well. And you bounce uh, a ball on your nose very well. Ladies and gentlemen, Dick Cavett. Thank you, Dick. Thank you, thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Check out NPR's Hidden Brain, hosted by Shankar Vedantam. Hidden Brain uses science and storytelling to help you understand the world around you and yourself. Wondering why it's so hard to change your best friend's views? Feeling like you're in a bit of a rut and need to get unstuck? Hidden Brain can help you with those questions and plenty of others. Find it now on the NPR One app and wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, Paula, we have the survey results oh, now. Right. Yes, we do. I love the survey results. Once again, the question we asked our audience is, do you ever worry about what Netflix thinks about you based on what you watch? And it turns out 47.5% of people worry what their Netflix selections say about them. So I have some of the survey answers here from the audience, and I'm going to read a few of them. How would Netflix describe you based on your viewing preferences? Watcher of romantic comedies with strong female leads and puppies. <laughs> um, How many romantic comedies have puppies? Well, if you consider Bridesmaids a romantic comedy. Okay, I wouldn't. It was, well, the people, there's a couple that gets married. Oh, there was, okay. Yeah, yeah I will now. That's I will. romantic. It's very romantic. Yeah, and if you weren't going out with Ken's wife on the side, you'd know that. <laughs> I'm sorry to have to unravel this. Bad uh, night for Ken yeah, and me. And, yeah, yeah, honestly. Um, how would Netflix describe you based on what you watch? I eat too many pastries and don't have the stamina to finish Mad Men, even after two years of trying. Uh, all right, I know this is terrible because this was a, a this was an anonymous uh, question, but I would like to meet the pastry eater. Uh, anybody? Oh, there you go. There's only one way to know for sure, which is to ask questions about the end of Mad Men. No, we've got a pastry. We've oh, got our pastry eater right pastry here. Pastry eaters nice. over there. I've never heard anyone confess to eating too many pastries. Well, yeah, I've, I've been watching a lot of Great British Bake Off, so I think that. <laughs> You've been watching a, a lot of Great 
British Bake Off. Yeah. And um, so, uh, uh, do you make the p the pastries? No, I just watch other people make delicious. So pastries. you watch them, but how do you see? If you see them do it on TV, you don't get to eat it. <laughs> Afterwards, like there's a biscuit mix in the kitchen, like you just can't avoid it. I've been able to avoid biscuit mix in the kitchen. <laughs> wow, that was another overestimating thing. No, I, we should do another quick survey. Um, all right, just by applause, how many people have been able to avoid the biscuit mix in the kitchen? <laughs> You're unique, was, sir. Uh, well, thank you very much, sir. Um, all right, how would Netflix describe you based on your viewing preferences? I don't worry about the impact of my choices, but my wife and I share a Netflix account, and I worry they may think I watch Gilmore Girls. <laughs> I worry. Yeah, I would never share an account with somebody else. That's just a mistake right there. Really? Yeah. Do you have a Netflix account? I do, and uh, we, we've created different identities. Do you identities. share it with Ken's wife? That's <laughs> no, not with Ken's wife. That would, that, would, that would blow the cover. Yeah. That's the last one. I, I love that sad little, oh. oh. Remember when there was a television show, I forget where it was, what it was, but at the end of it, like when they showed like the final credit and then they showed the production company thing and, uh, and didn't they call their dog or something? And wasn't it Ubu? Oh. Yeah. yeah. I just wish for our little signature thing at the end when I go, oh, you know, okay, thank you for coming. It's great having you. And then we read the credits and everything. And it was, this is, this is NPR. I wish there was a little voice that went, oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll work on that. That does it for today's show. The distinguished chair of the Poundstone Institute is Doug Berman. Our undistinguished chair is Ian Chillog. Our folding chair is Mike Danforth. Our sunny in chair is Franny Kelly. Our King Louis XVI chairs are Steve Nelson and Anya Grunman. Special thanks to John Cohn, Liz Brown, and Tony Federico at Southern California Public Radio, Erica Reddick, Ken Luzebnik, and the folks at NerdMelt. Our technical directors are Patrick Murray and Stephen Cologne. Live from the Poundstone Institute is produced by Urgent Haircut Productions in association with KPCC and is reluctantly distributed by NPR. <laughs> You can visit us at poundstoneinstitute.org or find us on Facebook. Thanks to our head of research, Adam Felber. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week live from the Poundstone Institute. <laughs> 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 Are you serious? This is NPR?